Welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fund Caliber. We're focusing on the UK market today, emphasizing the current generational opportunity in the UK and overall optimism despite recent challenges. Hello, I'm Darius McDermott from Fund Caliber. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Simon Murphy, who is the fund manager on the Tyndall Unconstrained UK Income. Simon, good morning. Morning, Darius. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, surviving the February the February chills, but um, yeah, we're, we're, we're good and ready to go. So we noticed that the fund has recently changed the name from the Tyndall Real Income Fund to Tyndall Unconstrained UK Income. Can you give us a, a, a couple of thoughts on why, why that decision was made and has it actually changed anything in the fund or is this just a name change to greater encapsulate what you do? Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean the primary reason for the name change is because the new one rolls off the tongue so easily, obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. In, in all seriousness, uh, no. In the short answer is it doesn't change anything that I do, um, but it does more accurately. We feel reflect um, what we're trying to do with this portfolio um, since I've been running it for the last four years now. It's a genuinely unconstrained portfolio by which we mean we have the ability to invest anywhere across the uh, the UK market cap spectrum. Um, we tend to focus more, as well, I'm sure we'll come on to into the mid-market, but we can go anywhere with it with no sector of constraints, no um, you know, market cap weighting constraints, anything like that. So it is a genuinely unconstrained approach, and that's why we changed the name really to make sure that people would be more, more uh, readily informed. Yeah, maybe that's a good segue uh, and we'll come and talk about the UK market maybe in a little bit uh, and, you know, COVID and all the things that happened. But you talked about the mid-cap. What sort of um, percentage do you typically hold in mid-caps? Is that particularly high at the moment, given the valuation opportunity? Um, and then maybe that might lead us into uh, uh, an example or two. Yeah, sure. Um so, yeah, the mid-market in the UK is the primary focus of the portfolio. And by primary, I typically mean around about sort of 75% of the fund. Okay. Um, so we, we, we'll have some exposure to some of the big companies. Uh, and we'll, we do have a little bit of exposure down in the smaller cap end of the, of the market as well. But they're small exposures, really. The vast majority is in that mid-market, uh, partly uh, because it's an area I've, you know, I've always invested in and enjoyed investing in um but partly uh, and more importantly it's because we just think we can find some fantastic uh, really interesting businesses in that part of the market you know very diverse in terms of sectors you know geographic exposures even it's not all about just the uk domestic economy uh different stages in development of the business uh in terms of maturity and so forth and so i just think it's a really fascinating interesting area in the market where there's just really uh really amazing opportunities and look, I'm privileged enough to get to see lots of managers UK and overseas. But the one thing I hear fairly consistently is about the valuation opportunity within that mid cap sector of the market and small cap as well. But maybe we'll just focus on the mid cap today. I mean, is that something you're seeing at company levels, you know, decent companies that are doing well and got enough cash flow to pay you a nice income and potentially a growing income as well as being really cheap yeah absolutely uh, obviously you'd expect me to say that wouldn't you but 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 i i, I think you know and I, I, I choose these words very carefully I, I think we've got a generational opportunity in the uk today in particular in the mid and probably also in the small 
cap area of the market as well in terms of valuation. Um, I can go into the reasons or, or my thoughts on it if you'd like, but you know, all the reasons that you you and the listeners would know, you know, we've been out of favor for many years post the Brexit vote. You know, we've had huge outflows from retail funds and institutional investors and overseas investors are all record underweight and all that sort of stuff. And all of that negativity has, I think, created a, a wonderful value op- valuation opportunity, uh, you know, a, a literally once in a generation opportunity, in my view. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll probably come back to this in a minute, but but a lot of that negativity, I genuinely believe, is perception versus reality. And that's what's creating yeah. the opportunity. I will ask you just to pick on a few, maybe one or two examples, and they could be mid or large cap, or whatever you, you prefer. But just so as our listeners, because this is the first time we've done this since the funds got the elite radar rating, you said typically 70% mid cap. Is that because of the valuation opportunity slightly higher today, or it's always going to be around that mark? Um, yeah, I, I'd imagine broadly around that mark. I mean, again, you know, given the unconstrained nature of the fund, it can go anywhere. So if, yeah. if for some reason we decided there was no longer any value, you know, massive amounts of value in the mid cap space because it had outperformed tremendously for a decade or something, then we'd probably have more exposure to some of the larger companies. So never say never. But, you know, I, as I've been running the fund for four years now, it's been around that 75% mark. Um, yeah. Certainly for the foreseeable future, I'd imagine that to be um, the case as well. And what I like about, you know, you, you, there are just loads and loads of really good, fundamentally sound franchises that are just on crazy, well, I think, crazily attractive valuations. So if I gave you an example of something like a WH Smiths, you know, which most people think of WH Smiths as, uh, obviously as a high street business, but actually it's really a travel retail business. So 85% of Smiths profits now come from travel retail. So predominantly airports but also you know rail and, and so forth and and this business obviously had a torrid torrid time through covid when travel was shut down and so forth but the company have continued throughout this period investing in new stores uh, just not just in the uk but more globally particularly in american airports and 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 so forth and and they've got this huge pipeline now of uh, of redevelopment opportunities that will play out now over the next four or five years and we'll see this business grow very very strongly um both from the expansion of the store estate but also from continuing recovery in travel um and it's now um valued on uh, about 13 times earnings historically it's been valued on sort of 18 times plus um we, we're getting them back on the dividend list and so the dividend is going to grow quite quickly over the next few years it's run by i think a really really strong management team uh, and it just looks at an outstanding uh, opportunity for the next few years you know i'm not making a call on whether it'll outperform in the next week or the next month but as i see the development of the business over the next few years it just looks a wonderful investment opportunity are, are there any larger cap companies you'd like to highlight on that that are, are, are you know generating lots of cash flow and again potentially cheap yeah i mean i, I mean I, I think my comment about generational value i think applies to the uk market broad full, full, full stop yeah full stop because of the, those big sort of trends of negativity um it just happens i think particularly over the last couple of years, to be more exasperated in the mid and small cap space because people have been very worried, I think, haven't they, about the outlook for the economy and whether we were going to have this 
famous, you know, uh, recession and how bad it would be and all that sort of stuff. So I think the large cap area of the market, FTSE 100, looks pretty, uh, pretty uh, good value as well. Um, and you know, I do own some FTSE 100 companies. So I, you know, I own companies like Prudential, the you know, the Asian insurance uh, company. Um, you know, which again I think looks incredibly good value. I own uh, Entain, uh, the uh, online gambling business, which again I think you know it's had a few troubles over the last few years, but I think is incredibly attractively valued. One business that I've owned for quite a long time now, which has done amazingly well in the in the larger cap space, is Rolls Royce over the last you know, year, year eighteen. Stock in the FTSE last year, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly right. And it, uh, yeah, and now it's sort of getting there. I think I don't think there's so much value on offer, and I've been reducing my position. But yeah, so so we we definitely own uh, larger companies. But uh, as I say, I'm just seeing, that, and I and I do think the FTSE 100 is good value. But I'm just seeing even more value available further down the market cap spectrum. And as we're introducing this funds to our listeners, sort of for the first time, it's the first time you've done our podcast, what might they expect from a yield point of view? Is this, you know, some funds we see a higher yield, no dividend growth, some a lower yield, high dividend growth. Is this a combination of the two? Or, I mean, I, I guess we should expect a premium to the, to the, to the, to the all share. What, what's your income yeah. positioning? It's a great question. Um, thank you. Um, so, so my broad philosophy here is to offer a, a, a reasonable yield premium to the to the FTSE All Share, and I sort of think about that in the sort of ten to fifteen percent type premium range, but with a with a conscious focus on you know looking for really good. Uh, capital and dividend growth opportunities as well. So it is a genuine blend. Um, being mid-market focused, uh, it does tend to lean itself more towards capital growth and dividend growth opportunities. And so There's nothing wrong with some capital growth if we can have it yeah, as well, right? Exactly right. We, we, we certainly um, we could do with some of that, couldn't we? Um, and, I, and I think it is a perfect balance. So right now, for example, the, 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 the yield on the portfolio is about 4.2%. Um, okay. That has been growing quite nicely in the last couple of years, as you know, as the uh, dividends have rebounded more broadly post the pandemic. Um, but I still see really good opportunities for good dividend growth in the portfolio as well. There's still quite a few companies on my portfolio list that are yeah, only really sort of rebuilding their dividend profiles post the pandemic and so forth, and and, and still have plenty of um, runway to see uh, good dividend growth. So I think it's a decent starting yield. I think the broader market is roughly about three. 0.8% dividend yield, something like that. It, it, it's, it's a nice number. Um, you know, we happen to be looking at the five and 10 year gilt yesterday, and five year gilt's now, but well, nicely below that. And if, yeah. and I use the word if rates are coming down, then that sort of differential between UK equity and maybe the UK gilt yield um, starts to, to, to look actually quite attractive just from a yield perspective, if no, no reference to potential for capital gain as well. So, Given that you took over this fund just before COVID, and um, that was a very difficult period for, for lots of listed companies, but also yeah. for lots of dividend stocks, um, maybe we could talk about w w what you did in the fund at that time, and you know whether you learned anything. Obviously, you and I have known each other. Um, well, let's not say for how long, but you know, best part of twenty years, and you've you you you've um, been at a few different houses. What did you sort of learn at that period, um, particularly challenging as it was for for, for all equity managers? 
Absolutely. And, and you're right. So talk about baptism of fire. So I started running the fund on the 1st of February 2020. So literally, so literally D-Day, just yeah, as the market uh, as, as was the about market to fall. To meltdown. Yeah. So, uh, so what did I learn? What, uh, so it was an incredibly stressful period, obviously. But, uh, but you know, that was true for, for many people, not just uh, in the fund management industry. Um, uh, I think the biggest thing I learned so, so I made a conscious decision. The market fell, particularly the mid-cap market fell so very, very sharply in such a short period of time. I mean, the mid-caps were down about, as, a, as an index, they were down about 35% within about six weeks, which was yeah, pretty unheard of. Um, yeah. and, and I made a conscious decision at that point. You know, I, I didn't know anything about the pandemic. Obviously, I wasn't making a call on when we would discover vaccines or any of that sort of stuff. I just took a view that... There were many, many franchises that were fundamentally strong, fundamentally robust, that would grow and thrive into the future, run by really good people, where their share prices in a very short space of time were down sort of 40, 50, sometimes 60 percent plus. And so I made a conscious decision to basically just start buying with a view to making hopefully some very, very good returns for clients over the medium term, not taking any view on the very short term. And so the biggest single thing I learned through that process was that focus on the medium term time horizon is so important, not trying to get too wound up about what's happening on a daily or weekly or monthly basis, not trying to, you know, predict what the so-called catalyst might be for performance and all that sort of stuff, but to just recognize when an investment opportunity is there and not get too worried about when it subsequently gets you know, realized and, and, and reflected in the share price. And so through that period, and I was lucky to be supported by Tyndall and uh, Alex Odd, our CEO, who you know, absolutely backed me to continue doing that in what was a crazily volatile market. I just yep. kept buying and buying and buying. And, and in the very short term, it obviously was difficult and the fund <laughs> continued to underperform because these companies kept going down on a daily basis. But very, very rapidly thereafter, we saw uh, you know, a good, strong recovery and, uh, and we've continued uh, yeah, to be frank, the last four years have been sort of one sort of <laughs> a difficult period after another, haven't they? Yeah. Um, or it certainly feels that way anyway. Um, but the, the the message, I think, and I can't stress this enough, is to have that medium term time horizon. And it's a really easy thing to say, but in practice, it's a really difficult thing to do. And I suppose as you've just taken over... I mean, obviously, everyone's always proud of their dividend history and the ability to grow dividends, but I guess... The focus on the dividend on in that difficult period was probably less important to you. I mean, most yeah, the, income the, managers had to cut, didn't they? They did. And actually, it's a really um, interesting issue, isn't it? Because you know, when I talk about um, uh, the mid-market generally, people typically understand the potential for capital growth because, you know, mid-caps tend to grow more quickly than larger companies and so forth. But most people are often quite dismissive about the income capability of mid-caps. And, and I think that's a real red herring. And so to your point, um, we had to cut our distribution uh, through 2020 and into, into 2021, uh, which is painful. Obviously, no one likes doing that. But the distribution cut on our fund my fund is a March year end. So for the year to March 2021, the distribution cut was 20%. Now, for the whole UK stock market in that year, dividends were cut by 41%. So we hold our cut to less than half of the overall market. And I passionately believe that's because 
that mid-market focus meant we were much more diversified in our sources of income. So yeah. we weren't overly reliant on the banks, say, you know, when the PRA banned all the banks from paying dividends, or we weren't overly focused on BP and Shell when they, you know, they both halved their dividends in that period. So that diversification, I thought, added a real um defensive benefit to us in, a, in an unbelievably difficult time for dividends. And then for the last couple of years, as dividends have recovered really quickly in the market, our distribution on our fund has more than kept up with the, the recovery as well. So I think that's a real advert for just actually how valuable mid-market dividends can be. Well, before we wrap up and I give you a chance to summarise everything you said, let's just touch briefly on the UK market. Um, I know some people don't like to talk about the Brexit vote, but it was a landmark time for which overseas investors particularly appeared to shun um, UK equities. Uh, here we are seven, eight years on. Um, and we've also touched briefly on, on, on the value opportunity that that, that long-term de-equitization of our market or de-investing into our market. Are you genuinely excited uh, about the valuation opportunity? And more important, because guess what? This is year seven or eight. What's the catalyst? What's the thing that kicks this market into um, in, 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 into strong positive territory? Yeah, it's 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 the number one question, isn't it? Really, for a UK fund manager, because as you rightly point out, we've been you know we. It's nearly eight years now since the Brexit vote. It's been a long time. So uh, I'd say a couple of things. First of all, on the on the I mentioned earlier the sort of um, narrative versus or perception versus reality. Yeah. Uh, whether you vote whether you voted to stay or, or or leave, the facts now eight years on. Yeah. In in terms of economic performance. The UK is firmly basically in the pack of the G7. So, you know, we've done, we haven't done as well as the US. We've done better than, you know, uh, Germany, Italy, you know, we're, we're in the pack. Um, and that's in terms of economic growth, in terms of inflation, unemployment, yeah, wage growth, all those sorts of things. So obviously we'll never know the counterfactual. We'll never know what would have been the performance had we stayed. But the fact that we did vote to leave, I would argue the facts suggest it's not been as calamitous as most people feared. And that's not to say it's been brilliant, but it's not been as, as difficult. Or, from, or, from an economic point of from view. From an economic point of view, yeah. So, and that's been a big driver, I think. That fear of economic underperformance has been a big driver of why the international investors have been so negative. You know, whilst while domestic investors have been you know, shunning the UK to go global and, and all that sort of stuff. So... So I think it's an important point. I think, you know, the perception is probably worse than the actual reality, regardless of your choice of uh, a vote at the time. So that's one thing I, I think is really important. Now, to that catalyst thing, the short answer is I just don't know. Um, I don't try and predict catalysts in my individual stock um, uh, uh, investments, so I'm not going to try and predict it for the market either. I do observe that that that. Uh, sentiment is on its knees from just about every aspect. I do observe that's created an amazing value opportunity. That's sort of good enough for me, really. Now, without trying to predict when it will be materialised. Now, the only other thing I would say is, um, you know, we are now having this discussion in public 
debate and public, you know, um, policy circles and so forth. You know, there's talk about trying to do things like British ISAs in the budget that's coming up and all that sort of stuff. I don't know what the right answer is, but what I do know is that at least we are recognising there is a fundamental problem currently with UK capital markets. And recognising the problem is the first stage, at least, to then eventually getting some sort of resolution. And I'm not sure what the what the, the answer will be, and it will probably be multiple different factors that coalesce together to um to kickstart this market. What what I what I also feel very passionately is um a lot of people bemoan the lack of liquidity in UK equity markets, particularly at the lower end of the market spectrum at the moment. Uh, that is true that you know liquidity is less than it was. Uh, and at the moment it's all been negative because all we've been seeing is relentless outflows. But of course were there to be anything more positive, God forbid, um, that lack of liquidity would work very powerfully potentially on the way back up as well, because there were, you know, there won't be a lot of natural sellers uh, if people do decide to be more positive and start buying again. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, aw I'm aware that UK fund managers like myself have been talking up the UK market for several years and it hasn't materialised yet. I don't believe for one minute that that means it won't. I just believe, as with all investment opportunities, getting the timing right and predicting catalysts is, is just fraught with difficulty. Yeah, and I suppose when you look relative to the US market, which apart from 2022, has been a very, very strong market that... Uh, Valuations do matter to future returns, um, yeah. even if certain parts of the global stock market can continue to get more and more expensive. Um, yeah. Right. So, look, thank you very much for that. I will now just sort of close. This is a new addition to the fund caliber stable of um, elite rated and elite radar funds. So maybe just I'll allow you just to finish and just say, you know, the type of investor you think that your fund is suitable for, because we don't do suitability, but what type of, you know, investor might enjoy investing in this type of product? Thanks, Darius. Uh, yeah, so I think, yeah, what, what we're trying to do here is build uh, a really interesting portfolio of UK listed companies, predominantly mid-cap, mid-market focus, which generate a, a, a real good combination of good dividend yield with excellent dividend growth and capital growth uh, potential alongside. It will be highly differentiated because of that mid-market focus, highly differentiated from the wider stock market, but also from most of the UK equity income peer group. So I think it offers a natural diversification to some of those more established, perhaps larger UK equity income funds. I mean, obviously, I'd like it to be the bedrock of UK equity income allocation full stop, but, but I can see why it would also be a useful uh, diversification alongside perhaps some more traditional UK equity income product. Uh, the fund, pleasingly, is performing well, has performed well. That's no guarantee it will continue, of course, but we are pleased with how we've progress we've made so far. Uh, we are growing. Uh, we are also, I won't go into the details on costs and things, but we, we do think we are extremely competitive on things like fees and so forth as well. So I think the whole uh, package ought to be very, very interesting. Uh, uh, and, you know, I was delighted, delighted to be, for example, the number one fund in the UK income sector performance-wise in 2023. So all in, I think, uh, really, really exciting uh, product. Uh, I, I genuinely, genuinely, with all my heart, believe in the opportunity that's available in the UK today. I can't give you any guarantees as to when it comes to fruition, but that's the uh, that's the exciting bit, really. 
Well, Simon, thank you very much. And as an investor as well, to have been the number one fund in 2023 with a bit of a headwind from mid-caps as an asset class um, is extremely well done. As demonstrated in this interview, the VT Tyndall Unconstrained UK Income Fund is a high-conviction, highly differentiated, mid-cap-focused UK income fund. The fund received an elite radar recognition in November 2023 and is one we will be watching closely in the future. For more information on the VT Tyndall Unconstrained UK Income Fund, visit fundcaliber.com and don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Calibre's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Calibre's research team only. 